Well, praise God for his love. That is the only reason why, why we are here, because he loved us enough. He loved us in a special way. And as you think about it, he loved us so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. As a parent, uh, that's something that I, I don't know that I can fathom, that I would love other people so much that I would give my own child so that they can live. That that sacrificial love that we see displayed through scripture is something that is unimaginable, that sets the God that we serve apart from every other so-called God that is out there, every other religion that you would look at and think of, the love that our God has for his people sets us apart. The truth that he displays in his word so that we might be able to know him is very different than what you would get anywhere else. And it's amazing. It's truly lovely. If you would turn with me your copy of God's Word, this morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, I don't know about you, but this week uh, we, we finally made it. We're through the midterm election season. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. No more political ads and commercials. Well, maybe, maybe after the 50th time that you've seen a political ad, maybe that helped to change your mind of who you were vote for. I don't know. It didn't for me. But, it, man, all the junk mail, it's, it's, it's amazing how wasteful it is in this time, in this world today, to do all this political stuff that ultimately, I don't, I don't know how much it moves the needle but um, it definitely a lot more ads than what we're accustomed to seeing. You know, and it, it, it made it nearly impossible to really know and, and understand what most of these folks stood for. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I was tired of seeing it, but every once in a while I would stop and like pay attention, like, okay, I'm going to see what this person has to say. And most of it, it was about how much, how bad the other candidate was. <laughs> most of it was about all this other stuff that, oh, they're, they're doing this and they're saying that on both sides. And, and I'm like, well, but what about you? Who are you again? What are you going to do? What are you going to help us with? What is it that you stand for? I don't, I don't know. I was confused. It's not enough for us to be united on what we're against. Things don't work well that way. It just doesn't when we, well, um, I don't subscribe to the, the saying that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I, that doesn't work for me. And it doesn't work for God and his church. This sermon series that we're going through is based on, again, the book of, by Tom Rainer. I am a church member. And I want us to understand the reasoning and the purpose of us belonging to a local church, as well as what a commitment looks like to the Lord and to his church and what that looks like for us. I think this is vitally important and something that, that we are, are starting to stray away from to our detriment. 
So I thought it was important for us to end out the year in thinking about God and his church and what he has you here to do to build his kingdom, to get out the gospel and his word. Because when we look at the world and we see all the disunity, unfortunately, that creeps into the church. Unfortunately, we start to carry that along with us. And so when we come to church and, and we start to have that same mentality of the enemy of my enemy is my friend, then we start to treat each other in the local body that way. And that's not right. That's not how God has instructed us to be. That is not how the church ought to operate. Well, they don't believe like I believe, or they don't walk like I walk. They don't think the things that I think, so I'm just not going to talk to them when we get into the church. I'm going to sit on the other side so I don't have to talk to them. Here in Ephesians, Paul begins the second half of the book here in light of the gracious riches that we have in Christ and the glorious reality of the community that we have and has been constructed here in the local church. Look with me, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Here God's, read, God's word reads, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for loving us in the way that you have, for being with us and bearing with us. Some of us are more hard-headed than others and just need to be, be shaken awake. Father, thank you for loving us enough to shake us, to, to awaken us. Help us here today to show us what you would have us to do for you and your kingdom, for our good and your glory. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So God has, has chosen us. If you profess to be a Christian, which means a follower of Christ, when you, when you follow somebody and you learn from somebody, then you would tend to start to look like them and start to do what it is that they are doing. We have been chosen uh, to be Christ's representatives here on earth. We're, we're following the leading of Christ, and people would know us in that, that vein. With this in mind, Paul challenges us to live lives that are worthy of the calling for which we have received. We have the awesome privilege of being called Christ's very own. And because of this, we can, we can be humble, we can be gentle, patient, understanding, and peaceful, because you know what? We've got people watching. 
those people that are watching, they're also taking notes. And it's interesting today. I, I talked about how the world is creeping into the church and to the, the walk of his people. People are taking notice of that. Oh, they call themselves Christians and, and Christ followers, but they don't be doing what Christ said to do. So what does that mean? What does that look like? It, this, this is hypocrisy that I'm seeing. They, they say one thing, and then they go and do another altogether different. Something I've noticed recently is how, how free people are with, with their language. People, even those who profess to be Christian, are uh, entertaining and being involved in these, these vulgar conversations not only in person, but also online. You know, I, I, I'm talking to a Christian and they, they were letting some cuss words fly out. I'm like, what's happening right now? Let's back up a little bit. Like, you, you said you're, you're a Christian, right? Like, and you talk like this? It, it, it makes me wonder if we really truly understand and believe that we are representatives of Christ. Now, oh, they, these are just words it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it shouldn't offend you. They're just words, and you shouldn't let that bother you. But the Scripture tells me to let, let no unwholesome uh, talk come from my mouth. It, it tells me that I ought to love others, and I should be set apart. Well, everybody says these words. It's, it's okay. You hear it on TV. No, we're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to be sanctified. I don't understand. Oh, you, you just, you're too deep in this. Like you take it way too literal. What the, that's what we're supposed to do. This is what it looks like for us to look like Christ. Christ didn't go around doing the things that the world was doing, saying the things that the world was saying. He was countercultural. It wasn't comfortable for him either, just like it's not comfortable for us. But people are taking note. And my question to you is, are people seeing Christ in you? I wonder for myself, if, if I walk away from conversations, if people are thinking like, that dude's a pastor? He calls himself a, a Christian? I wonder what people are saying and thinking. Am I truly a representative of Christ? Do people see Christ in me? My question to you is, how well are you doing being his representative? How well are you doing being his representatives? If you remember from last week, we talked about Paul's analogy of the church, of us being one body. In the context last week was the need uh, uh, and a requirement for us to participate and be unified in the body of Christ. You know, we all have a, a God-given role and responsibility in the body where we're all needed, all of us are needed, and all of us are useful. Our body is in the big old ear, right? Our, our body is in the big old eye rolling around. We need all those parts of the body as the whole to function well and correctly. In order for the body to work optimally, each part has to be present and functioning. So today we're going to expand on that. We're going to talk a little bit more about that and, and what that looks like. And in terms of being a unifying church, 
and to be a unifying church member at that. And that requires us to work together. Just like the body has to work together, it requires unity on our part. It requires us showing up and participating. Y'all got quiet. Y'all looking at me weird. It requires us to show up and it requires us to participate. What if your right arm is like, I don't feel like working today. Oh, you want to pick that cup up, but it's not, I'm not having it today. I'm tired of picking up cups. Tell the left hand to pick up the cup. Huh? It requires us to show up and participate. Unity doesn't just happen. Because we're all in our own stuff. We're all in our flesh. It just doesn't happen. It has to be something that each of us, all of us together, that we're working at, that we're working towards together. John 13 and 30, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love for one another. Man, I wish Christians would act like this is true. That you would love one another. Man, I wish people outside of the church would know us for this that we would love one another, that they would be able to identify, man, that must be somebody who follows Christ. Look at the way they're, they're serving. Look at the, the way that they're loving. They don't have to do that. They must be a Christian. I don't hear that too often. We often see differences among people that lead to division, but this should not be how things happen in God's church. This division, this discourse, this lack of love. Instead of concentrating on what divides us, we should remember what unites us. Each of us remembering what unites us. Our text here says that we're united as one body, as by one spirit, by one future, by one Lord, by one faith, one baptism, and one God. That's what unites us. That's what brings us together. I'm going to be honest. Share, we family here, so I can tell you a story. I have a friend that I never thought we could be friends because of how different we are. I mean, we're, we're very different. He's loud and he's like a bull in a, in a china shop, whereas I'm, I'm quiet and I move like a ninja. He's more of a big idea guy and I'm more about details and, and execution. He's more liberal theologically, and I tend to be more conservative. And, and if I'm honest with you, the, this guy just got on my nerves. Like, I mean, I was not looking forward to being in his presence. Like, oh, man, I'm going to have to deal with this dude again. He's going to be talking about all this stuff and wasting time and all this stuff. And, man, I, I, I didn't like him at all. But the Lord started to work on me, and and I felt I just needed to pray for him. Better yet, I needed to pray for myself. <laughs> what I realized and what the Lord was working on me with is like, this is not, you're not loving him. This is not what love looks like. You're, you're begrudgingly wanting to talk to him or trying to avoid him. That is not what love looks like. So I started to pray that the Lord would give me strength <laughs> to be around this dude that the Lord would help me to exemplify the love 
that he that he would want me to show. And after after a while, I started to notice that there were there were some things that we did have in common, and that was that was kind of cool. But even more amazing is that I started to appreciate the differences that we had. I started to notice like, oh, that's interesting. He he's able to do these things that I I can't that I might want to or make me have a different perspective that I wouldn't have otherwise. So now, after realizing this and the Lord working on, like I said, it's not me. I'm not trying to, to boast up of myself because it's not me. If it was up to me, I, I probably wouldn't talk to this dude ever. But because of what the Lord was doing, I started to look forward to spending time with him, limited amounts of time. But I started to look forward to spending times with him. And what I noticed is that he was able to help me uh, generate some of these big ideas because I'm not a big idea guy. So sometimes I could go to him and say, I'm, what do you think about this? And he would help me to have some big ideas, some big dreams. And I, vice versa, I think I would have been able to help him narrow down. And let's look at the details. Like you got this big dream and it's fantastic, but how do we execute? How do we get this going? And so now we're able to help each other out in the areas where we were weak. So I've been able to help him to focus. But in the context of the church, when members don't work together, the church is weaker as a whole. If you, if you be like me, and, and don't want to associate with these people that are different from you or you may or may not get along with, the church as a whole is weaker because we're not only able to appreciate the differences that we bring to the table, but we're not able to leverage those things. Remember last week we talked about the giftings that God has given us. Not all of us have the same gifts. It's so that we can come together and utilize them together for the good of the kingdom for the good of what God has placed us here to do. So my question, I got a lot of questions for you today. Have you learned to appreciate people that are different than you? I'm sure when, as I was talking, you thought of somebody in your head. Oh, that's like so-and-so. I don't like them. I don't get along with them. That's the person you need to be praying for. Along with yourself and that you would look to the Lord to help you to love them to love them with God's love. And you would be surprised at what God does through that work. I want you to be able to see how these differing gifts and these different viewpoints can help the church as we do God's work together. Look with me in verse two. In verse one, it tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility in gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. I know for some of us, that's, that's heavy right there. Like, just, just stop right there. <laughs> You're you asking a whole lot here this morning, not only with humility, but gentleness and pa patience? I don't know about that. Patience? You know, humility was, um, at the time of this, this writing, when Paul was writing this, it was actually distasteful to talk about humility in the pagan world at that time. 
Being prideful, on the other hand, was something that was highly praised. And, and, and it was so much so that there was no term in the Latin or Greek for humility. There was no word for humility at the time because it just didn't work in that climate and culture. And so it appears like this Greek word was coined by Christians. This, this word for humility was coined by Christians to describe a quality that couldn't be described any other way. Isn't that something being trendsetters to bring about a word that nobody had ever used? They didn't under, even understand the concepts to talk about what that means and what that looks like in somebody's life. As we look at ourselves, as we look at each other, the fact of the matter is that uh, nobody, none of us are perfect. That might be a shock to some of you. I heard some amens, which is good, but nobody is perfect. Nobody is ever going to be perfect here on this side of heaven. So we need to accept and we need to love other Christians in spite of their faults. We tend to think, and some of us, some, some people, it's hard for them to, to get into church because they think, well, I got to get myself together first. I got to straighten up my life first before I go into a church. And they, we got to be able to be out there with them and tell them, no, brother, sister, that's not, that's not how it operates. That's not how it works. Come as you are. Come hear what, what Christ has to say. Come hear the word of God. And you will be transformed through that. God doesn't tell us to get yourself together and then I'm going to save you. He did the work long before we were ever even thought of. Knowing how wretched you were going to be. Knowing how prideful you were going to be. Knowing how messed up you were going to be. Christ still gave up his life on the cross for you. So that you can have life. And not just any, co- any kind of old regular life, that you would have life of abundance, life to the full for eternity. So we need to understand, I mean, as, as Christians, sometimes we get this messed up and twisted. Again, this, this worldly stuff starts coming in and we want to judge people because they ain't got their stuff together. You ain't got yours together anymore. There's some things that you need to work on. I was disappointed by this, by the way. As as a young Christian coming through and I'm like, okay, well, the Lord has shown me this sin that I need to work on. And I'm praying, I'm working, I'm doing all this stuff. And, And finally, through the Lord's help, yes, I've conquered this. Yes, I'm past this. I don't have to worry about this no more. Lord, thank you for for using me in this way and taking this out of my life. And then I turn around and the Lord showed me something else. Like, I just got finished. Why? <laughs> I got something else to work on and something else to work on. And then lo and behold, that thing I thought I conquered comes back. <laughs> I'm glad y'all, y'all don't judge me because I'm messed up. I need some work. But that's how all of us are. And we ought to love each other despite our faults. When we see faults in fellow believers, we need to be patient. We need to be gentle. 
Matthew 6 and 14 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others in their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you in your trespasses. That puts things in perspective, doesn't it? As though now I got to think about this a little bit more. These people wronged me and I want to hold a grudge, but that's not how Jesus treated me. That's not what he's done for me. Now, you might ask, well, what about a brother or sister who is in sin and, or has misunderstood the scripture? You're not telling me that we should just let that slide, right? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's a great question. All of us here today, we not only have different backgrounds, but we also have, uh, we come from different places. And we also have different, we're, we're also in different places in our spiritual walk, our spiritual maturity. You know, some of you come from a Catholic background. Some of you used to be atheists. Uh, some of you are brought up Christian, but maybe you weren't discipled. You didn't go to the Bible study or taught the Bible in any other way. There are some of you that have never read the Bible all the way through until a couple years ago. And some of you that have been studying and praying and getting to know the Lord for most of your life. And there's some of you here who may not have even read the entire Bible all the way through. So we're at different stages. We're in different places in our lives. And so we need to earnestly be praying for one another so that we can all grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We can all then thrive as a body of believers. And then we can serve Bolingbroke and the greater community. Let us get to know one another and understand these various backgrounds. Instead of calling people out and chastising them about what they need to do or what not do, maybe you ought to get to know them. Spend some time with them. Understand where they are coming from. Maybe you would have a discipleship relationship with them, that you would study the word together. And then through your love for that person, through your time with that person, maybe you can convince them and show them they can see in God's word how they have gone astray. This is very different than just going out like, you know you're going to hell and you call yourself a Christian because you do this and you do that and it ain't right. You don't need to be here. And I can't, I don't understand how you can walk through those doors and think you, that's very different. How would you feel? Somebody called you out on your stuff about how you shouldn't even darken the doors of the sanctuary until you get your stuff together. That's not how love looks. This will go a long way opposed to going to that brother or sister and just chastising them. Some things aren't as easy or cut and dry as you think they might be until you put your feet in their shoes. Colossians 3 and 12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What would the world look like 
if just the Christians lived this way, that we took God's word seriously and that we applied it directly to our lives and how we act and interact with other people, what would that look like? I wonder if there's somebody in your life who personally annoys you Somebody that you look at and you wonder, how could they call themselves Christians and live that way? How could they allow these things to happen in their family? As you think about that person, I want you to be praying for that person. I want to challenge you to go and get to know them. I want to challenge you to love them in a way that only God can. So they might be compelled or convinced about what the scripture says and how they might live it out. Or even maybe there's a possibility that you be praying for yourself and realize you're the one that got it wrong. Maybe I hold to this so deeply that I, I, I care about this theological element more than I do the actual scripture that it supposedly came from. I know people like this too. They hold to this, this, this theological argument so tight that they forget the God who is supposed to be based on. They are more fervent in, in, in protecting their stance than they are standing up for God and his word. Instead of dwelling on that person's weakness or looking at their faults, please be in prayer for them. Then spend more time with them and see if you can appreciate how God has made them and how God has made you. Verse three says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It's interesting here that Paul talks about he tells them, he commands them to, to keep this unity, to maintain this unity. He doesn't say establish it. He, he doesn't say make or create unity. He says to maintain it. Why do you think that is? Where, where does this come from? Right? Don't we have to do something for this, this unity? The reality and the foundation is that God calls us to simply preserve what he has created. He's already created this unity. And earlier in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 2 and 14 through 18, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in a place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have access in, in one spirit to the Father. So to build unity, that's the, the operation and the work of the one Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that leads us 
but we have to be willing to be led in order to do our part to keep the peace and to do that we do that by by focusing on god and we focus on him and not ourselves this is how we preserve what has already been made and what has been given verse 4 says there's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and for all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Um, all of us either know somebody who has been affected by cancer or you yourself have been affected by cancer. The interesting thing about cancer is that it is a disease where cells no, one, no longer want to unify with the body as a whole. The, these cancerous cells have their own independent vision, their own program that they're abiding by. They want to stay in the body, but they, they want to do their own thing. They don't want to cooperate and operate within the body and what is there to do. Not only that, but they want to do their own thing and multiply. The goal of these cancerous cells is to shut you down. This sickness, this disease is there to break down your body so that you cannot operate. In the same way, Satan wants to shut God's people down. In the same way, God, uh, Satan wants to come in and, 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 and take over your body to sidetrack you. He wants to break us apart. He wants us to not listen to God and his word. The surefire way for him to do this is by sowing dis, 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 uh, discord and disunity. He wants to separate us. He doesn't want us to be unified. There's nothing Satan hates more. Paul is careful here to remind us of the unity that we share in the gospel. And it's our unity in Christ that binds us. It's not a unity in our ethnicity. It's not a unity in our economics or our politics. We are one body where we share, share the common existence in Christ's church. While uh, we are diverse in our, our backgrounds and our giftings, we still have this unity in Christ. We have one spirit that signifies that the Holy Spirit is the one who creates unity and empowers us to maintain it. We have one hope that is only found in Christ. Previously, before we met Christ, there was no hope. There was no hope that we can think about, but it was until we were called to Christ and now we must live in a matter that is worthy of that calling. We have one Lord and, and in biblical times, this was not an, an empty statement. In order to say that Jesus was Lord uh, at this time, what, we're, what they were saying was that Caesar was not Lord. When you say Christ is Lord, what you're saying is Caesar isn't. And they weren't having that back in the day. When a Jewish Christian said this, they were boldly identifying Jesus with, with God and the Hebrew scripture. Today, we might take this lightly when we say Jesus is Lord, but back then you can lose your life proclaiming this very truth. 
it was not a matter to be taken lightly that we are we have one lord we have one faith this one faith where we embrace the essential truths together we have one baptism in our common experience of being spiritually baptized into christ and being united with him there's one god and father as we are adopted children this is the most miraculous thing. He is God over all and the father of all his children, regardless of ethnicities. He called us to go out and to, to preach the gospel to all nations and all tongues. We are just one big adopted family. And that's amazing to me. All believers in Christ belong to one body and are united under one head and that head is Christ. Each believer has a God-given ability that can strengthen the whole body. Each of you, under the sound of my voice, where you're here physically, where you're online with us, each of you has a God-given gift that can strengthen the whole body of the church. You just need to show up and get busy. Your special ability may be, or may seem small, it may seem large, but it's yours for God's service. I urge you today to walk in a matter that is worthy to the call to which you have been called today. That what God has given you is important, is needed, is special. Don't hide it. Don't stuff it down. Use it for God and his glory. Use it for God and his people. There is somebody waiting on you right now. The gift that you have, the gift that God has given you, there's somebody that needs what you have that's been where you are, that needs to hear the testimony that you have. Don't withhold it. Don't stuff it down. Join God's church and his mission to build his kingdom. So if you are a believer in Christ and you've been worshiping with us, I urge you to come and commit yourself to this local church, this local body, as we join together in God's mission. Our mission statement, as you heard earlier, is for us to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, to thrive as a body of believers, and to serve Bolingbrook and the greater community. That's what we're about here at First Baptist Bolingbrook. God has uniquely gifted you with something unique and special that can be utilized not only here in Bolingbrook, but I'm sure across Illinois, across the U.S., across the world. And it may show up in different ways. Maybe you have a gift of cleaning. Maybe you have a gift of speaking to people and being an, an encouragement. Maybe you have a gift of service. All that is good and useful for his kingdom here in this local body, in this local church. Or maybe you're with us and you have not submitted your life to Christ. I urge you today to consider what it is that we've talked about today, what we'll continue to talk about, what we've talked about before, 
and to um, think about God's sacrifice for you so that you can be here, what God has gifted you with to use. And you don't have to have all your stuff together to come to him. He gave you those gifts. He has sacrificed his son for you, knowing that you were going to be messed up so that you could be right here today to commit your life to him. I'm here. This is, this is why I'm here, to help equip you and understand what it looks like to walk with Christ, how you apply that to your life and in your vocation with your family, we have deacons and other folks here that can help you. have been walking that walk for a long time. I urge you today to make a choice to follow Jesus. And not making a choice. He's like, well, I'm going to decide next week what I'm going to do. Well, Lord willing, you make it to next week. Choose today who you will serve. Not making a choice is actually a choice in itself. Today is the day. Now is the time for you to choose to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for loving us in, in, a, in the special way that you have. You've given us so many things that we are so grateful for, many of which we might even take for granted. Let that end right now in this moment here today and that we would give you the glory that you rightly deserve, giving you thanks for all the things that you've done. Help us to strive to be the people that you've created us to be, that we put the gifts to use that you've given us so that we can make much of you and much of the kingdom. Help us here at this local body, here at First Baptist Bolingbrook, help us to be a beacon of light Help us to reach out to others so that they might be able to have hope in this hopeless world. Help us to be committed to you in every way that matters to you. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.